Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and this is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Every week we have a different topic. Sometimes we talk to converts. Other times uh, we're talking about peace and justice issues, or we're talking about pro-life issues. Sometimes we're talking about Catholic culture, art, architecture, film, literature, movies, music. Today's topic is the Catholic writer Flannery O'Connor. My guest later in today's program will be Lorraine Murray. She is a writer herself and also a biographer of Flannery O'Connor. She's written The Abbess of Andalusia, The Spiritual Life of Flannery O'Connor. Lorraine joins us from Georgia, uh, just down the road from where I'm speaking in Greenville, South Carolina, and she's there living not too far away from Flannery O'Connor's hometown. Flannery O'Connor is known as a Catholic Southern writer. She grew up in Georgia, and she was born in 1925. She wrote two novels and 32 short stories. She's known for her Southern Gothic style, a style with lots of drama, some violence, and grotesque characters. Flannery O'Connor was the only child of Edward F. O'Connor, a real estate agent, and Regina Klein, who was a farm woman. She described herself as a pigeon-toed child with a receding chin and a you-leave-me-alone-or-I'll-bite-you complex. So she was obviously a, a, a real character as a child. She was an only child, and she says that when she was six years old, she experienced her first brush with celebrity. A film news organization came and, and filmed little Mary O'Connor with her trained chicken and showed the film around the country. And Flannery said, when I was six, I had a chicken that walked backwards, and I was in the Pathé News. I was in it, too, with the chicken, and I was just there to assist the chicken, but it was a high point of my life, and everything else has been anticlimactic. You can tell she had a good sense of humor about herself uh, and about her life. Her interest in the chicken uh, went on. One of the curious details of her life is that she had a great interest in raising birds of all sorts. When she lived on her mother's farm, she was not only looking after chickens and ducks and pheasants, but also she was very keen on her hobby of breeding peacocks and, and peahens. She had a toucan, an emu. She had all sorts of birds, and that was her hobby. Flannery O'Connor started writing at an early age, and she got her training, and her early talent was recognized. She went off to train at the Iowa Writers' Workshop at the University of Iowa. That was in about 1946. She went on to study journalism, and she met a good number of well-known writers who were there taking part in the Iowa Writers' Workshop. One of her professors said that when she turned up in Iowa, her southern accent was so strong uh, he could hardly understand her. Now, when Flannery was only 15 years old, a very tragic and important event happened in her life. Her father died from the disease lupus. She was to be diagnosed with the disease many years later, and she then went on to die of it, of complications of, of lupus in the early age of, of just 39. After it was diagnosed, she sort of retired to her mother's farm, which was called Andalusia, outside of Milledgeville in Georgia. And she lived there and completed writing her short stories and her novels uh, before her comparatively early death. Now, one of the things about Flannery O'Connor's writing is that it's actually pretty difficult to start with. Uh, if you're looking for a Catholic writer who is writing pious literature about prayer and the holy life, you're not going to find it in Flannery O'Connor. Instead, Flannery writes from her experience living in the American South in the 1930s and 40s, and she describes characters her critics call grotesque. Uh, sometimes it might be a farm woman who's an amputee and only has one leg left. Another time it, one of the main characters is a, a serial killer. Another time it's a person who's mentally defective or, or someone who's in a freak show in a, in a traveling carnival. All these unusual and bizarre characters 
show the extremity of, of life uh, in the American South. And she's observing it not only as a Southerner, but also as a Catholic, remembering that a Catholic in the 1930s and 40s in the American South was just as much a rare bird as the peacock she was, she, she was interested in raising. She stood up for her Catholic faith, though, very firmly, and she was convinced that her writing was Catholic, but it was not religious. In other words, it was not explicitly about the Catholic faith. Instead, she was showing the themes of Catholic belief and Catholic doctrine welling up within ordinary life. The best thing to say about her work is that it's deeply sacramental. In other words, it conveys the Catholic idea that God's grace is bubbling up through the created order. God's love and mercy is there, welling up in all sorts of mysterious, strange places through all the people that we meet, through the circumstances of life, through the joys, the sorrows, the difficulties, as well as the delights, that in all these ways, God's grace is there. And you have to kind of squeeze life a little bit to see it and, and, and to get God's grace and to understand it. And so this understanding of the sacramental, which is working through life, it keeps her work from being didactic. When we say the work is didactic, we say that it's a work, even if it's a work of fiction or a film, if it's didactic, it's trying to teach a lesson. It's trying to maybe tell a story and then tack a little moral on the back. Her story's not like that at all. Instead, she portrays characters who are touched by divine grace, and grace is welling up in their lives, and usually through some tragedy or some difficulty, that grace touches them. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I'd like to take a moment and remind you to jump over and have a look at my blog. I blog on there pretty much every day. It's called Standing on My Head. So come and visit me. Go to my website, DwightLongenecker.com, and visit my blog, Standing on My Head. Today we're talking about the Catholic writer Flannery O'Connor, and in the second part of the program, we're going to be talking to Lorraine Murray, who's the author of The Abbess of Andalusia, The Spiritual Life of Flannery O'Connor. One of the other themes in Flannery's work is her use of humor. As you could probably pick up in that little statement about herself when she was a child, saying that she was a pigeon-toed child with a receding chin and a you-leave-me-alone-or-I'll-bite-you complex, she uses that same humor in telling the stories of her various characters. Quite often, she'll refer to them intellectuals, uh, using a southern accent on purpose to make light of intellectual liberals who couldn't understand her life in the South and couldn't understand the fundamentalism of its characters and the extremism of the characters. And this is one of the interesting aspects of her humor that, like G.K. Chesterton, she stands things on their head and the liberal intellectual from New York City will find themselves in this American South being outfoxed and being outsmarted by uh, these people who appear to be just country bumpkins and uh, ignorant local yokels. A famous story about Flannery O'Connor in the same context shows her humor and her uh, sharp wit. She was in New York and she was at a dinner party with some leading intellectuals and writers. And one of the writers was a uh, former Catholic. And as the conversation went on, Flannery O'Connor sa says she was very intimidated by all these sophisticated, famous people. She says, I sat there at the dinner table and didn't say anything for the whole night long. And then finally, her hostess uh, began talking about the Eucharist and the hostess said that when she was a girl, she used to believe that it was true, but now she realized that the Eucharist was just a symbol. And the hostess turned to Flannery O'Connor and said, and what do you think about that, Miss O'Connor? And Flannery O'Connor, speaking up and saying the only thing she said all night, said, well, if it's only a symbol, to hell with it. 
And that little story about Flannery O'Connor bearing a strong and uncompromising Catholic witness in the midst of all of those people she would have called them intellectuals, that story has resonated around the world. Lots of people have heard it. And that one witness that she bore there in a very timid way, she said, my voice was quavering with fear as I said it. Uh, And yet that strong witness to the Catholic faith has echoed around the world and is a story which reminds us that even the smallest words spoken in faith and in courage will touch the hearts of many. One of her most famous stories is A Good Man is Hard to Find. And in that story, a family group are on vacation and their car goes into a ditch. And just by seeming happenstance, a couple of criminals come along and one of them is a, a serial killer. The whole family is plunged into a nightmare of murder and violence. But in the midst of this, someone might say, well, this is really sarcastic and cynical and dark, and how can you find God's grace in the midst of all that? And Flannery O'Connor would say that the characters are changed by divine grace, and change is painful. And she touches on a very important point that we need to remember. In our American society, we are very often obsessed with success, looking successful and being totally happy all the time and really achieving the very best that we can. But in fact, very often, God is coming to us right in the midst of the problems, right there in the midst of the tragedy. Flannery O'Connor is one of those writers who doesn't shy away from such difficult truths. And if you look at her stories and try to find the light within the darkness, it's amazing how it comes through. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Before we continue with the program, I'd like to share with you one of the books I've written. Catholicism Pure and Simple is just that. It introduces people to the Catholic faith using simple language and goes step-by-step through the reason Jesus Christ came into the world, the Holy Spirit, the foundation of the church, the sacraments, the life of prayer, and and the life of being a Catholic. I wrote Catholicism Pure and Simple in order to share the Catholic faith with people who need to be evangelized. I've also used it for 8th grade confirmation and RCIA. Connect with Catholicism Pure and Simple. You can find it on my website, DwightLongenecker.com. And now, back to more Christianity. Welcome back to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and my guest in this portion of the program is Lorraine Murray. Uh, She's an author and a former feminist. I think your first book was The Confessions of an Ex-Feminist. Is that right, Lorraine? Yes, that was one of the first, yes. Mm -hmm. And you call yourself a Catholic revert. You've returned to your Catholic faith. And since then, you've been writing various other books, a couple of mystery stories. Tell us about those. What are they called? Uh, The first one is Death in the Choir, and then the second one was Death of a Liturgist. And they are mysteries, but also have a lot of humor in them. Yes, I've enjoyed both of them. They're terrific reads. And you're here to talk to us today about another one of your books, which is called The Abbess of Andalusia. got the wonderful subtitle, Flannery O'Connor's Spiritual Journey. In the first half of the program, Lorraine, we were talking about the uses of fiction for Catholics, and particularly about Flannery O'Connor's vision. Now, you have a special attraction to Flannery because I think you just live up the road from uh, where she lived. Aren't you close by to her her home? Yes, it's really it's about less than two hours away. So I actually have visited there and was able to go to the home and uh, go to the church where she worshipped and so forth. So that was, um, well, it just makes me feel closer to her, really. And Flannery O'Connor is a genuine Southern writer and a Southern Catholic writer. What other writers are in that same category? Well, one of my favorites is uh, is Walker Percy, and um, 
he really shares a lot in common with her as far as uh, you can read a lot of his stories or read his novels, and, and sometimes people will come away and say, well, well, I know he's Catholic, but where are the Catholic scenes? Right. Sometimes it helps just to have someone, you know, be a guide for you, which mm-hmm. is also what I'm hoping to do if I write another book about O'Connor, is to actually write a discussion of how her stories are Catholic. Now, what about Pat Conroy? Do you put him in the category of Southern Catholic writer? Yeah, I would, but, you know, I haven't read a whole lot of him, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to comment. I'm not sure if Pat Conroy practices the Catholic faith, but I would put him under that umbrella. He's from a Catholic background and very often writes on themes of uh, Catholic interest in his novels. And then there's the controversial Anne Rice as well, who is a a Southerner, and um, her Catholicism seems to keep bouncing back, like kind of like a tennis ball. I'm not sure if she's in or out right now, but she also has written some some very interesting themes. But we're talking about Flannery O'Connor, and one of the things about Flannery O'Connor, which I, I mentioned in the first part of the program, which I'd, I'd like to talk to you about, is the fact that her novels and her short stories are not easy. Uh, if people are looking for pious, spiritually up- uplifting Catholic writing, they might find themselves a bit disturbed by Flannery O'Connor. W- would you agree? Yes, um, many people really are disturbed, and, and because the stories are often quite dark, and often have a violent twist in them, and plenty of things happen that are quite depressing. You know, we have suicides and massacres of families at the roadside and so forth, and it can be very discouraging just to try to plunge into them and figure out what's going on, but even if you don't know what she's doing as far as the Christian elements go, they're still really good stories. I mean, she was just a really good storyteller. Um, But when you add to that the fact she herself said that she only wrote the way she did because she was a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And then when you go back and you look for, in the stories, uh, the presence of demonic influences and the fact that many of the characters are, are either very arrogant or vain or deceptive, they're dealing with some kind of sin. And when you can start teasing out those elements... Then you can see that the violence and the darkness is there for a reason. So she has violence and darkness in her stories. Very often there are broken families. There's a kind of background noise of even child abuse and genuine negativities. But there's also an awful lot of, shall we say, much less startling illustrations of sin, where a lot of her characters are insufferably vain or proud or self-righteous or bigoted or racist. And it's easy to overlook those um, aspects of her stories, but they're just as strong as some of the violence and and the weirdness in the stories. Would you agree? Yes, I I do agree. As a matter of fact, I I often identify with those characters that you've mentioned, unfortunately, (laughs) the the self-righteous kind of smug people that they just consider themselves kind of good people, and they're doing what the Lord said they're supposed to do. But in fact, she shows them to have these rather um, atrocious prejudices that they're, they're not aware of until something happens that brings it out, makes it so obvious. You know, in some of her stories, she's showing really extreme forms of sin. But the best stories, I think, are the ones you've mentioned, where it's rather subtle, and the people really think they're nice people in the community. And then something happens within the story which reveals their inner heart of darkness. That's right. Um, One of my favorites is called Revelation, and and it has a woman in a doctor's waiting room, and and we get to see her consciousness. You know, she's she's thinking about how she and her husband are such good, God-fearing people, but what we discover is that she's just horribly prejudiced 
against black people. And she's discussing her prejudice with other people in the waiting room. And she has her comeuppance when a girl named Mary Grace, and of course the name is very important because this is the woman's moment of grace. The girl hurls a textbook across the room and smashes her in the head and calls her a warthog from hell. (laughs) And it's one of these great moments because it's the humor and also it's the darkness all combined. But the wonderful thing about this woman whose name is Ruby Turpin, the one who gets hit on the head, is that she takes that moment and instead of just saying, well, why did this crazy girl hit me on the head? She really goes and asks God, why did you let this happen? How am I a good woman and still a warthog from hell? Right. And so she actually learns from that experience. By the end of the story, she realizes that she's not the woman she thought she was, and that that actually was a message from God. And this is one of the themes that runs through the stories as well. Quite often, there will be the sort of people I I usually describe as a Flannery O'Connor girl, one of these tough tomboy types who's got some problems and she's got some behavior and attitude problems from a conventional point of view. But very often, she will be the one who speaks the truth and opens up the window of revelation. And, And this is what happens in another story, which is called The Temple of the Holy Ghost, But this time, the person who speaks the truth is a grotesque character in a circus freak show. Do you remember that story? Yes, very, very much. Um, It's actually one of the only three stories that does have a Catholic character in it. Uh And in this story, it's it's a very innocent little girl who hears about a freak show at the uh, carnival in town, and. And in the freak show, there's a hermaphrodite. The little girl is so innocent that she doesn't even understand what a hermaphrodite is. In the key part of the story, we learn that the hermaphrodite tells people who come to see her or him that this is the way God made me, and there's nothing I can do about it, Mm -hmm. and I don't dispute it. I just accept it. Mm -hmm. So the story is very rich on many levels, and I've always looked at it as a story about accepting our state, however broken it might be, whatever suffering God sends us, that this was his will for this person. And it's not a story about sexual immorality or, or sexual misbehavior, because the hermaphrodite, in its own way, is actually um, trying to preserve some sense of purity, but just happens to be in this terrible situation of being in a freak show and making a living that way. And the strangeness of the story is that the people who are coming into the freak show, who are all portrayed as upstanding, church-going farm people who go to Sunday school every week. They're the ones who are there out of a lurid and a perverted curiosity, and it's the hermaphrodite who, in a way, turns out to be the one who has the most sensible view of things. You know, my blog, Lorraine, is called Standing on My Head. Maybe that's why I like Flannery O'Connor so much. (laughs) She's always standing the world and everybody's expectations on their head. And in doing so, I think revealing a very profound truth that God's grace is coming to us in the most unexpected ways and that we need to be alert and conscious and alive and looking for how God is trying to speak to us in a prophetic way or an unexpected way, even in the most strange and and difficult of circumstances. What about another story that is probably one of her more famous ones, A Good Man is Hard to Find? In this one, an ordinary family is going off on a family vacation. I think Grandma is sitting in the back seat She's kind of a self-righteous, busybody type of woman. And explain to our listeners what happens there. Yeah, self-righteous and busybody is definitely the word for it. And she actually, without intending to, unleashes a terrible catastrophe on the family. 
she hides a cat in the back seat that her her son doesn't want taken along on the trip. And during the trip, there's an accident. There's a car wreck, and the whole family's stranded by the side of the road. And the accident happened because of the cat in the back seat. Anyway, the whole point of the story is that as they're sitting there, someone comes along who they think is going to help them. But it turns out that he is called the misfit, and mm-hmm. he is an escaped convict who's been going around killing people. And the old lady is proud that she knows who he is, that she tells him, oh, I know who you are, you're the misfit. This, of course, really seals the family's fate because now he knows that they know who he is and he kills them one by one. He kills them because they're witnesses. Yes, that's right. So one by one he takes them off into the woods until it's finally down to him and the old lady. You have to see it on a kind of a theological grounds or else it just becomes this terrible, horrible story that people just run screaming from. But the fact is that right before he shoots her, the old woman has a moment of grace when she's actually able to reach out to him in a compassionate, sort of Christ-like gesture of love and forgiveness. She's finally kind of saved from her own selfish, vain attitude, her own sins. But unfortunately, he recoils from that and shoots her anyway. But at the end of the story, we discover that even the misfit has had a change of heart Mm -hmm. because he has witnessed this this love from the old lady. He starts kind of reexamining whether he really wants to continue on his life of roaming around and creating mayhem and, and wreaking havoc on people. Some people expect God's grace to come kind of with the singing of angels and something real pretty and the sky lights up and it's beautiful and here's the grace. But in this story, as with many others, it comes in a shocking fashion and it completely changes everything. I'm Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Today my guest is Lorraine Murray, the author of The Abbess of Andalusia, Flannery O'Connor's Spiritual Journey. Lorraine, take a moment and tell our listeners about your website and where is the best place to find your books, both The Abbess of Andalusia, your book The Confessions of an Ex-Feminist, and also your, your mystery stories. Well, they can go to my website, which is simply my name, Lorraine, and then the middle initial is V as in Victory. Last name is Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y. Is your middle name really Victory? No. <laughs> my, real, my, my middle name is actually an Italian name, Viscardi. That was my maiden name. But my mother, when she spelled it, always said V is in Victory. <laughs> it's great talking to you today, Lorraine. I just want to continue about our discussion with Flannery O'Connor, one of the great Catholic writers, indeed one of the great American writers of the 20th century, a woman who suffered an awful lot. We talked about her in the first part of the program. I just want to continue for a moment here talking a little bit more about how she expresses God's truth and grace in her novels. One of the contributions that fiction gives to our world of literature is that it helps us to see new ways in which God's truth and grace is incarnated in the world. By that we mean it is enfleshed or made real in the world. A story could be a parable which illustrates God's truth. It could be a fable which has a little moral at the ending about some good truth we want to learn from it. But truly good fiction will always incarnate the truth right in everyday life. And I think this is one of the strengths of Flannery's work, that somehow or other God's grace seems to be oozing up within Southern Americana. Yes, one of her goals really was to show um, the, the incarnation of God's grace and to show oftentimes what were considered rather striking figures, so that the the grace would be understood. She often used 
figures who people called grotesque, mm -hmm. and that would just mean that they might have been actually physically maimed in some way. You know, like she has a one-armed person, she has a one-legged person, she'll have just people that had something wrong with them, but she didn't just do that just to be gratuitous about it, but rather so that when the grace came, it could be shown to be a more dramatic acceptance of it, in, in that these people were so grotesque or, you know, distorted themselves, and usually because of sin, trying to show sin. It reminds me of that Leonard Cohen line that life has cracks in it, that's how the light gets in, that it's in the brokenness and it's in the grotesqueness and the, the strangeness of life that sometimes we can get a glimpse of God. He's there in every aspect of our lives, but it's when we're thrown for a loop and our world is stood on its head that we can sometimes see that his, his hand is at work in our lives in ways that we, we never expected. And the work of Flannery O'Connor helps us to see that. The last element which I'm intrigued by as I read the stories and reread them is all the different levels of meaning that she's packed into her stories. And one of those is her brilliant use of symbols. Very often in the stories, I find myself spotting little symbols of the faith, little symbols scattered throughout the stories, kind of like little crumbs for those who wish to find it. It might just simply be where a character's riding home and the last paragraph of the story will be something like, she looked out and the sun looked like a, a bright red wafer or something like that. And you're immediately drawn back and think of the Eucharistic host and so forth. Do you, do you find these symbols laden into her stories as well? Yes. I mean, that, that's why she's such a genius as a writer. You go back and you find almost like someone had made a quilt and put in these little threads. And the more you go back, the more you find them. Like in The Good Man is Hard to Find, before the grandmother goes off on the journey, she, she pins some violets onto her lapel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I looked up that, and violets are a symbol of death and resurrection. So right. it's a small thing like that. After the misfit has shot everybody, he takes off his glasses and he cleans the lenses, which symbolizes that he's now going to be seeing things in a new way. Beautiful. Well, I'm talking to Lorraine Murray. She's a biographer of Flannery O'Connor, lives down the road from where Flannery O'Connor lived in North Georgia. Thank you for being with us today, Lorraine, on More Christianity. Before you go, can you please tell our listeners a good place to start if they've never read Flannery O'Connor? Where, where will they find her works and, and what should they look out for? Um, I would suggest just getting a collection of the stories called A Good Man is Hard to Find and just plunge into the stories. And um, if they're interested in reading her nonfiction, I would suggest Mystery and Manners, mm -hmm. because that book talks more about you know the whole process of being a Southern writer and about being a, a Christian writer in the South. And if you'd like to learn more about Flannery O'Connor's devout Catholic faith and her spirituality and how she lived that out day by day within the midst of her difficulties and in the midst of her friendships and her family relationships, then you want to get Lorraine's own book, which is, again is called The Abbess of Andalusia, The Spiritual Journey of Flannery O'Connor. Lorraine, thank you again for being with us on More Christianity. Thank you so much. It was a real honor.